Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. On the Belief Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals and the only place for every New York football team and their fans. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and welcome back to another edition of the New York Football Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. Like, download, rate, and subscribe. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, myself at Tino Rodriguez, as well as the show at NY Football Pod. We have another dope show for you guys today. It will be a fantasy football focused show as a reoccurring guest and fantasy guru himself, Benny Ricciardi, joins us to talk fantasy strategy for both redraft and dynasty leagues. Uh, We talk about some sleepers for the upcoming season, as well as play some buy or sell on players that uh, some people may be high on or some people may be low on for the upcoming year. But before we get into all that and all the fantasy football talk, let me catch you guys up on some headlines Uh, over the past weeks. I've been giving you guys the positive spin and hope about sports coming back, and for the most part, uh, they all have. I've been right for the most part. Uh, However, not every sport is looking up in in a time where the Champions League has decided on a tournament format that's going to be exciting to look forward to. You have the NBA and NHL set for the postseason already, and the NFL is geared for training camp and the start of season, and the MLB is in dead last place and look no further than courtesy of MLB Commissioner Rob Manford. And I mean, to start, there's nothing more or no bigger question to ask than what the hell is going on with baseball? I mean, the negotiations have been ongoing for months and we've gone everywhere from 100 game seasons to full seasons to we were going to get spring training back again to now it's do or die. There may not be an MLB season yet. Despite the commissioner himself going on air saying live to the people that there was 100% certainty that there would be a season. But as of, uh, as of yesterday, we are filming on Tuesday, on Monday, he said, well, I can't say I'm 100% certain anymore, which is just nuts. It's nuts. And it's over money, no more than greed. I mean, it seems that... If there is a season, it's going to be between 50 to 60 games at this point. Uh, They got to work out the timing, but the players are done negotiating, and it's on the commissioner, and it's on the MLB itself, the organization and the owners, to come up with a set schedule on what the hell they're going to do. And I feel like it shouldn't be this difficult. You know, the saddest part of all of it is that, and Bauer outage, Trevor Bauer said it himself, that it's a losing hand. Everybody loses the way they're going about it. Essentially, the big debate is between half a season, 80 games, and 50 games. And the difference of that money saves the owners $10 million. And so that's why they're not budging. 
and they're going to give players full prorated salaries, but they don't want to do it for 80 games so they could save the extra $10 million. And on top of all of that, he came out and said, well, we want the MLBPA to promise they're not going to sue us down the road, basically for jipping the players and the league of money. I mean, this is nuts. The commissioner, I mean, the power of greed between the commission and the owners is just, it's gone too far. And at this point, it's a wait and see thing. But, you know, the overwhelming majority of the people, I mean, maybe just social media, but, you know, across platforms everywhere are not that confident that there's going to be a season. And not even that, if there is a season, what is the quality of baseball we're going to see? You know, players are unhappy of coming back already because of the whole coronavirus situation. But now, players are going to be unhappy because of their money-making situation and their situations of just the league that they play in under the commissioner and the owners that they're playing for. And so, you know, as a Mets guy, Pete Alonso, guys trying to build off his rookie season, man, one rookie of the year, he came out and tweeted off the MLB, uh, MLBPA tweet, just give us a time and place, when and where, and we're going to show up. It's what they do. The players play. They're born to play baseball. But the fact that it's taking this long and every other organization across the world can somehow figure it out is baffling to me. And the MLB, I mean, as if they were worried about enough when the season was all together and viewerships and getting the game going and getting things excited, they're not helping their case at all after this, after this display. Not even a little bit. I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke. And they're, they're worried about just the postseason revenue and can the season count and will people view it? Like, who gives a shit? The players just want to play. And the only thing the owners and the commissioner are worried about is saving money. And it's nuts. Like, they already lost money. So at this point, it's like, I mean, worry about the product on the field. And it's not what they're worried about at all. They'd rather just bite the bullet at this point and not even play. And it's just astonishing to me. It's astonishing to me that a league of that statute that is worried about their standing in America, at least. I mean, it's a global game now. You see the KBO going, but their statute in America in terms of professional sports, they're definitely not helping their case. They're definitely not helping their case. This is a bad look for the MLB. And so we'll see. I'll provide you the update uh, if and when it comes, but... You know, things aren't looking too bright for the MLB. I mean, everyone and their mother wants baseball back. And it's just crazy to see that, you know, when you get down to brass tacks, it's really the higher ups that are just, you know, not having it. So, although there's a football podcast, we touch on baseball here. But let's switch back over to football now. And we had a lot of action over the week in terms of people getting ready to go. We saw last week that Daniel Jones was training at Duke and in North Carolina during quarantine to get himself ready. Well, the Jets decided to join him with that and go down more south to Florida as Sam Darnold led the workout here for most of the Jets' offense. You had Lev Bell, which was definitely encouraging for anyone who's worried about where the hell Lev Bell you know, sits and ranks on that team at this moment. But Lev Bell's there. Uh, we had the young guy in Denzel Mims there. We had Braxton Braxton uh, Barrios there, and uh, the new guys as well. Uh, Brashad Perryman, the vet in Jamison Crowder was there as well. And, you know, it's exciting, man. 
you see these guys training. Uh, we're getting worried even on the high school side of things that football really is set to kick off in almost a month. And, uh, you know, there's not too much to talk about anymore aside from it's great to see players getting in shape, getting ready. I know they were in shape. Uh, you know, there was some news in more regards to the Giants side of things, but you had Eagles guard Brandon Brooks, uh, Terry's Achilles. He's out for the 2020 season. And so that's something I'd like to monitor the most is people who are going on their own, training, preparing for the season, kind of how these injuries start to pile up and affect, you know, teams and situations where this offseason has been drastically different. And I think a lot of players have been leaned on to be independent and get their work done themselves, which, you know, of course, they're in the NFL, but a lot of people won't do that. And so, uh, you know, even the guys who are in shape and do get ready and prepare the right way still have a risk of injury. So it'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, preparation and just overall health of the league uh, stays up because the NFL is a, a league and football is just a game like no other where you need to lift all all year round if you're going to be mentally and physically prepared for the push of a full game, uh, a full 16 game NFL season. So there was that. So the Jets are back in action and nothing crazy on the Giants front here, but there is something to address. And a lot of people have been doing this just because you do boxing workouts does not necessarily mean you will be a good football player. Now, a lot of you will know what I'm talking about already, but video leaked of Chase Young getting a boxing workout in. And of course, all the Washington Redskins fans want to shoot chatter out there, say he's coming for Daniel Jones, he's coming for Daniel Jones. Well, let's just put it this way. The other person I've seen this offseason doing boxing workouts is Jameis Winston. And uh, clearly those workouts haven't treated him too well as he's done it throughout his NFL career. So, I mean, maybe it helps you throw passes, but we'll see how it helps you on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I'm not too certain that seeing his slow progression in jabs and, you know, overhand rights is going to necessarily help him get off the ball and stay on side when it comes to uh, getting past Andrew Thomas on the left side and getting after Daniel Jones. Uh, listen, I wasn't overly impressed. Chase Young is a gigantic man's man. I mean, the guy is no joke. There's a reason he went second overall. He is more than capable of double-digit sacks this season. I just don't think him taking boxing classes is going to really drastically change anything uh, for his overall success. I'm just not too convinced. And it didn't really make me shake in my boots. I think... You know, they took Chase Young, and I still feel the same way I, I would feel from the beginning. Uh, we drafted a young left tackle in Andrew Thomas to counter that and also help us with all the other de defensive ends in the division that we have to worry about. They also have Montez Sweat on the, uh, on the other side of the ball there for Washington that we have to worry about. So, um, you know, I don't think boxing makes you a better football player, but I guess it helps produce some content and gives us something to talk about as we inch our way closer to training camp. But now... That's pretty much it for the headlines. I'm going to get you guys ready here for my interview and overall fantasy football discussion here with Benny Ricciardi. Uh, he is a reoccurring guest to the New York Football Podcast, but last time he was on, we didn't touch too much on fantasy, and that's surprising because Benny is one of the who's who when it comes to fantasy sports, fantasy baseball, fantasy football. He's got you covered over at Guru Fantasy Elite. I mean... The Elite Mafia takes care of their customers, takes care of their fans and the people. Um, and Benny's handing out free money when you listen to his advice. 
He is the guy. He is a maestro when it comes to fantasy football, and we cover it all. We talk sleepers. We talk buy-sell on guys that are established, rookies coming into the league, some wide receiver situations that are intriguing to think about. We also talk fantasy strategy, whether it's redraft or dynasty, sit on a quarterback, do you go running back, running back, things of that nature, stacks, uh, how it relates to daily fantasy. I mean, everything, we cover all notches of fantasy football, awesome discussion. Hope you guys enjoy it. Without a further ado, here he is, Benny Ricciardi. All right, now we welcome on a very good friend, a reoccurring guest, the guru himself. Uh, you can follow him at BennyR11 on Twitter. Guys, you can't see him yet, but he is very bright red and he's looking real good. Summer is treating him well. How's the short, Benny? It's good, man. I, you know, you know, I when everything started falling apart up north, we live, we live right outside of New York City. So when everything got crazy up there, I have a place down at the Jersey Shore and my kids were all doing, you know, homework on a computer anyway. So I said, you know what, let's get the hell out of Dodge and go down to South Jersey for a little while. So we got the pool open in the backyard. The kids do their homework in the morning. We hop in the pool for a while. Unfortunately, I have to be there for them to be in the pool. So that's where this time came from. Me sitting next to the pool for hours on end while my kids go swimming. So it is Now, are it is. you the type of person who gets farmer's tans? Or do you, like, are, are you an in-between guy? Do you like your tank tops in the summer? Or are you either going big T... Because you kind of have a big T-shirt on now. So I feel like summer's either a big T-shirt, you got to be loose so you can breathe, or a no-shirt. There's no – I'm not a tank top in the summer guy because it's just, it's just a bad look. You yeah, get the I, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, most of the time I don't even have a shirt on. I put the shirt on because I'm here with you. I don't even have pants on right now. I got a bathing suit on. Like, I don't even, I, I don't even actually wear clothes in the summer, especially nowadays because even with my job, you know, I'm doing video content and audio content and stuff, and nobody ever sees – the, nobody ever sees me from the chest down, so it doesn't really matter. And honestly, this shirt just sits on the back of this chair, and anytime I have to do a video, I put, I put it on, and then when I don't, I take it off, and I just, you know, go hanging out outside. So I'm a, I guess you could say I'm a no-shirt guy probably 95% of the time. Well, so you're, you're like me. You're a no-shirt but the same shirt at the same time. You get what I'm saying? You either have no shirt or it's just you have the same black shirt that's rotated. See, Again, you're black, I got the white shirt on. It's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, if I'm doing, like, audio content, the shirt's on for, like, 13 minutes, and mm-hmm. then it comes off, and then, you know, I, I, I probably too. wouldn't even wear it the next day. So, I didn't wear it long enough to, like, sweat in it and, like, to have to wash it, so I just throw it in the back of the chair and go from there. I honestly, the only laundry I really do right now is my, my shorts, my basketball shorts. I don't even do underwear anymore, bro. I live in basketball shorts and babies. <laughs> I just take off the bathing suit and put on a pair of basketball shorts. And then I take off the basketball shorts and put on a bathing suit. And that's pretty much like 95% of my days. Because I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't gone out. I'll put on sweatpants when I have to go mow the lawn. Other than that, basketball shorts and bathing suits, if I can live the rest of my life that way, I'm good. I mean, the transition, too, from a bathing suit to basketball shorts has to – I've never – I haven't done it enough. I've done it before. I haven't done it enough. I'm going to start to sample that, and I'll let you know what I uh, – Benny, let's get down to the brass tacks here, okay? We didn't talk about fantasy at all last time. We talked about gambling, but that doesn't count, okay? It's completely different. 
It's gambling in a fun way. We build our own teams here with fantasy football. And let's get the people caught up on kind of what you do with this. You're more of a, I guess, daily fantasy, but at the same time, you do your season longs, you do your best balls. Kind of which of those do you like the most and just which have you seen better uh, benefits from, I guess, in your long-term game? I mean, I, I play them all. Like, like most people who – I got into daily pretty heavily like six or seven years ago when it really started booming. Like I was, I was there towards the beginning when, you know, we were playing on some of these sites that wound up getting bought out by FanDuel and DraftKings later on down the road, you know, Draft mm-hmm. Street and things like that. But like most people, I mean, I got my, my start in fantasy by playing season-long fantasy for, you know, 15, 20 years before, you know, you know, daily even really came along and kind of blew up and, and, and kind of just en- engulfed the entire industry with that mm-hmm. being, you know, people are always going to go where the money is, right, Steve? Like, it's, that's what it is. I mean, you know, Jesse James back in the day, they asked him why he robbed banks because that's where the money is. <laughs> that's the same thing with fantasy. You know, wherever the money is, it's a game. You're challenging yourself to play against other people who are sports-minded like yourself, and you want to do it to win money, ultimately. You want to prove that you're the best and walk away with the, you know, the trophy or the, the belt on your shoulder and, and all the money at the end for the prize. So I started playing, you know, season-long fantasy like everybody else, a bunch of your friends you get together, you have a couple of beers, everybody has a draft, you know, talk a bunch, of, a bunch of crap on the message board to each other on the weekend. And, you know, you, you watch the games together and, and you hang out and, and it's fun. And then, like I said, you started getting into, you know, I started winning a lot of those leagues, started getting into some of the leagues where, you know, you pay and there's these big overall prizes and started taking some money down in some of those. And then the daily thing kind of exploded. But I mean, even to this day, I'll still have a couple season long teams, even though the predominant amount of my bankroll and my time on Monday to Friday, you know, Monday to Saturday is, mm-hmm. you know, geared now towards building daily fantasy teams and, you know, trying to trying to win money that way. But I mean, listen, when you're when you're a degenerate gambler and a, and a fantasy sports player, you're going to play all these things. So, you know, like even the best balls that you mentioned, like as a daily fantasy guy, a lot of my season long action now has moved over to the best ball side because a lot of the best balls, you don't have to do any in-season management. I don't have to go make fat bids on, on Sunday. I don't have to go and, you know, redo my lineup on Sunday morning when I'm trying to get, you know, 150 daily fantasy lineups into you know, a hundred different tournaments that I'm playing in right there. So really the best ball and, and a lot of other guys that I know that are big daily fantasy guys are the same way. We almost use the best balls. Like remember back in the day, I mean, you're not, a, you're not as old as I am. So when I say back in the day, it might, you might've been like 10 at the time here. Yeah. But um, you know, like back <laughs> in the day, the only way we could ever do mock drafts was going on like a Yahoo and doing like a Yahoo mock draft. And the problem with that is when there's no money on the line, People fuck around. They don't really yeah. care. They don't, you know. Stupid trades. Yeah, you're getting like, you know, somebody's drafting like somebody who nobody would ever draft in a serious fantasy yeah. league in the first round just because they're a, a Jet fan. You know, they're taking Sam Darnold 1-1 one, one, one overall because yeah. they're a huge Jet fan and they just want to like do it that way. You know, the best balls have kind of replaced those mock drafts for a lot of, a lot of the guys that I play with. Like even now when I'm bored, the kids go to sleep and it's 11 o'clock at night and I don't have any work I got to do because there's no sports going on at the moment. So I don't, yeah, don't have half the workload that I used to and I normally do. You know, I'll throw like a hundred bucks in and go on one of these sites and play like, you know, four $25 best ball drafts just so I can kind of start getting an idea of where guys are going, you know, which guys are available at which points in the draft if I need mm-hmm. 
running back late or I need wide receiver late. All right, well, who are the pool of guys that are usually available, say, round seven, round 10, round 12, that I have to choose from? Because then you can start actually digging into it and figuring out, do I like this guy better than that guy? Is this guy worth a 10th round pick? Can I wait and get him in the 12th? You know, do I have to jump up and take this guy in the ninth because, you know, he's moving because of some news or something like that? So to me, the best bowls, especially if you're going to wind up playing a lot of some of these big money, like season-long fantasy leagues where you have, you know, fat bidding and you have to do your lineups every week, the best bowls are a good way to kind of get the, you know, the, the feel of the room and kind of see where guys are going so that when you go into these big money drafts, you're more prepared than the guys who haven't sat down and done 50 other drafts and know which spots they have to take guys in if they really want them and who they got to jump for and, and who they can kind of wait on. That's interesting. See, so, so the only tie I was going to mention is that, you know, for me, I found that season longs for the same reason you're saying best balls help you track these guys season long for me kind of go hand in hand with daily fantasy because, you know, you can, you know, do a couple, if you want to be a heavier daily fantasy player, just do two to three and you're going to follow every week. You know, the good thing about what you're saying with best balls is just the injuries. You don't got to worry about shit. You don't got to worry about the one running back who's playing in London. You know, maybe they're Mm -hmm. not playing in London this year, but, you know, from years past, you know, it's less to worry about. It's a lot easier. You get your guys and, you know, for the most part in a redraft or whatever it may be, guys who are knowledgeable enough like us, you're going to get football players. You know, you can get a Hollywood Brown who was a rookie last year because you know the boom's going to be there or whatever it may be. So that's interesting. But now let's talk in terms of strategy, I guess, just for redraft. I think this is something just off the rip. You're talking mock drafts. Most people, if they take it serious enough, they'll do mock drafts for like, you know, first two, three, four rounds to get a feel of where the RBs and receivers and quarterbacks go. This year, I think quarterbacks are going to obviously shoot a little higher with Mahomes and Jackson. You know, people always do weird things. What's the best strategy you, you always found in redraft leagues at least for the first two rounds do you like rb rb i know a lot of people literally draft running backs for six rounds do you like running back receiver do you like to mix it up i mean i guess your answer might just say that it depends where you're picking but which of those have you found kind of to fit the niche a little bit better for success yeah so i'm gonna say this for me it tends to be rb heavy but let me throw a couple caveats out there so people understand where i'm coming from like yes where you're drafting definitely has a, you know, has a big influence on who you draft. You know, if I am pick one or pick two, I'm taking, you know, Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley. So I'm at least starting with one running back. And then at that point, if you're, you know, most drafts are snake drafts. So if you're picking one or two, your next pick in a 10-teamer is 19 or 20 and a 12-teamer is 23 or 24. Um, You know, then you pick 25, 26, and then you don't pick again until – you know, like 40-something, 48, 47, 45, depending on, you know, if it's a 10-team or a 12-team or whatever. So by that point in time, if you don't, if you don't take those running backs with, the, with those early picks, you wind up being in a spot that you don't want to be in where you have to start deciding between guys that really aren't high-end running backs. Because, you know, the first and second, he got past third neighbor within the five. He, that guy did everything. Nowadays, that's not really the case anymore. You know, you look at some teams where you have one guy who runs the football. You have another guy who catches the ball on third downs. You have another guy who does a lot of the tight end work and stuff. 
when you get down to that point where, you know, you're, you're with inside the five-yard line where that guy's going to be getting the touchdown work. So when you still have some of these guys like an Ezekiel Elliott, like a Saquon Barkley, like a Christian McCaffrey, you know, these guys that do everything, they're way more important than a lot of these other guys that, you know, they, they play a role. Like, I love James White, but you're not going to take James White in the first three rounds of a draft. You're going to try to get a guy who could be hopefully a three-down back or at least a predominant three – you know, predominant amount of yeah. the down back before you have to start picking between these guys that are in timeshares or that play roles and things like that. So for me, it's going to be running back early. But every league that you're in, you need to know the rules of the league that you're in. If there's, you know, points for, you know, like if tight end catches are worth more, there's a league that I'm in. Or if you play, if you play in a, the fantasy football players championship, you know, you get like, I think it's like one and a half points for a tight end catch versus one. Well, that makes guys like Travis Kelsey and George Kittle so much more important that you have to start taking them earlier in drafts too. You know, Two quarterback if a, leagues can factor in too. Two QBs leagues, then yeah. the quarterback shoot up as well. You know, same yeah, you know, there's, you got to know the rules of the league. But in the ideal, the average league that most people are playing out there, like a standard PPR kind of thing, I'm usually going running back early because to me there just aren't enough high-end guys there that I want to get at least two hopefully three of them within the first four rounds. Uh, I, I think running back, the, the funniest thing I always tell people about running backs is there's only one starting running back per team. Receivers, there's plenty of starting receivers per team. You know, some people have three wide receiver sets. Some have two. There's a tight end, exactly what you're saying. If it's tight end premium, Kelsey's pretty much a wide receiver one. So it's like, it's very important early on to get those RB ones just because it's very scarce. If not, get your handcuffs. You know, if you only do one running back and decide to go receivers, then you should probably get your handcuff higher instead of getting like a James White, you know, the next best RB two. Um, now, in terms of another strategy, now this is more for daily fantasy, um, but I'm curious if you think it rolls over to uh, season long as well. What do you think of stacks? Do you think stacks is something that's more of just a daily fantasy thing? Obviously, you ride the hot matchup or the high-scoring offensive matchup, or you know, can it also work in a season long if you, like I have, uh, in my dynasty league is just capitalize on the Ravens. I didn't think they would do what they did last year, but you know, if you're going to go in on one guy, you might as well stack them up and just see if the offensive explosion could kind of carry your team for most of the season. So I'm going to say it this way. Uh, for daily fantasy, without a doubt, you will not see me make lineups that don't have stacks because if I'm playing in tournaments and I'm trying to win tournaments, I need the high upside. And the high upside comes by having a team that blows up for, you know, 35, 38 points in a game and winds up with, you know, five touchdowns or so. And you having a, a big piece of all those touchdowns on your roster. For season long, I don't think it matters as much because, you know, there's going to be ups and downs during a season with any team, right? I'm not against having a quarterback and a wide receiver and a tight end, but I'm not actively trying. Let's say it that way. That's you right. know, like when I build my fantasy teams, I'm active. When I build my daily fantasy teams, I'm actively trying to get a quarterback with maybe two of his pass catchers in there or. You know, if I think it's going to be a shootout game, I'm actively trying to get, like, my quarterback, one of his pass catchers, and one of the pass catchers on the other team. I'm looking for those correlation plays. Mm. When I'm drafting for season long, like I said, if I wind up taking Patrick Mahomes early, which I never really do, but if you wind up taking Patrick Mahomes early and you have a chance to take, 
one of his wide receivers in the middle round or something like that. I have no problem doing that. But I'm not going into a draft saying, since I took Mahomes in the first round, now I have to take Kelsey if he's available, or now I have to take Tyreek Hill, or I have to make sure I get, you know, Sammy Watkins or Demarcus Robinson or Hardman or something. If it happens, it happens, but it's not something that I actively try. No Demarcus Robinsons. But to your point, I was going to mention that, yeah, I think tight end to quarterback is my biggest, like, yeah, you should do that. I think it makes the most sense because receivers even scare me a little bit too because then, like, your lineup setting kind of gets too reliable on it. It turns into, like, you know, unless it's, like, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, it's not necessarily set and forget. And it's, like, even Matt Ryan, you know, you keep, it's not really that sometimes. So if they're, like – so last year, I mean, I happened to fall into a pile of shit, really. I drafted both Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews as rookies. Andrews wasn't oh, wow. even the main guy there. Uh-huh. Hayden Hurst was, so he wasn't even supposed to be that. And then I traded for Mark Ingram earlier that year, but he wasn't on the Ravens yet. He was a free agent signing. So it all just kind of happened. And so I wasn't going to, you know, I'm not going to say no, it works. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I wasn't actively like, I need this. I need that. Let's get them all together. Let's stack it up. I think season long, the biggest thing too is bye weeks. I mean, you're just so fucked. You become so reliable. I mean, your team needs to be deep if you're doing all those stacks. Has to be deep because most of the time, a good team has a late bye. That's when, you know, games matter in season longs. And in the fucking. Well, I mean, the other thing you got to think of too is like if you're stacking up in season long, you're probably losing that bye week because now you're losing your QB1, your RB1, and your wide receiver one, or your tight end one, and your wide receiver one, and your your QB1. So, um, you know, I, I will say this. I mean, I take bye weeks into consideration when I'm building my teams, mm-hmm. but I usually do it more like position by position than anything else. Like, you know, I'm not going to take three wide receivers that all have a week nine bye. It's just because it's going to be it's going to be torture for you when you're trying to fill out your wide receiver core for that week, you know, or I'm not going to have like um, there's one. I forget the exact names, but you can probably look it up if you look up the bye weeks of these guys. But it's happened to me a couple times this year where I think it's week nine. Like when you're on a turn, if you're on a turn in a 12 team, you have guys like like Nick Chubb and like all those guys there. And there's like two or three of them that all have the same bye week at like week nine. So there's at least one or two drafts that I've done, best ball drafts that I've done, where I didn't realize it until after I drafted these guys that, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I took them at, like, my first round and then my, on, on the comeback. So, like, I was, like, 10, 11, 12, and then, like, 13, 14, 15 on the comeback in these 12-teamers where I grabbed two running backs and then I looked up and I was like, oh, shit, they both have week nine buys. Mm-hmm. And the reason I remember that is because Cam Akers is a guy I've been kind of targeting, like, later on in drafts. Yep. Um, like fifth, sixth round right there. Of the guys that are left there, like to me, he's the one with the best path to like be a be an, an every down running back. Mm. And he also has like same week nine by. So like there's at least one team that I have where in week nine I'm rolling out like James White and Tevin Coleman or something like that. Just hoping and praying that that's the week both of those guys. That'll are. be Tevin Coleman's three touchdown game. He's always I hope so. that is, Honestly, if it works out that way, I'm pretty sure <laughs> playing this league. Just, I like the rest of my team with the other guys. So let's talk about some young guys, though. Now that we talked about some strategy, let's talk about young guys for more, like, advanced guys. And I guess this kind of counts for redraft leagues. But um, who are some of the young guys? Now, we were going to talk about this in a, in a way that we weren't going to talk about the big guys. But let's incorporate them. I think we should incorporate them. So you okay. mentioned one in Cam Akers. I talked about it before the show, Jonathan Taylor. You have some young guys that kind of seem uh, – as like that prototypical new young running back that are going to be do it all run into the ground and 
toss the ball to them on third down type backs and Cam Akers, Taylor. What do you think about guys like that? What do you think about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Um, do you think there's one that's more complete than the other? I mean, you kind of gave sentiments to Akers. Do you think he's the most complete back, or do you think there's someone who stands out a little more than him? I mean, are we talking fantasy, or are we talking just straight-up attributes here? Uh, I mean, I think attributes roll over into uh, fantasy most of the time. <laughs> well, I mean, because to, to me, especially when you're looking at young running backs, right? Like, there's a, there's a big difference between guys that I like for a redraft league and guys that I might like in mm. dynasty league. You know, to me, the most talented of all these running backs was DeAndre Swift. Mm. But you throw DeAndre Swift on a Lions team where they still have a couple other guys that are going to be getting running back snaps. Arian Johnson. I, yeah, exactly. The main guy right there who's going to be taking it away from him. And the thing with Kerryon, too, is not only does he run the ball well, he also can catch the ball out of the backfield. Like, so you don't know what kind of role DeAndre Swift is going to have. Mm. At the same point in time, I would rather take a guy like Cam Akers around there. You know, even though I don't think Cam Akers is better than, say, like a, a, a J.K. Dobbins, but I would rather have Cam Akers because I feel like Akers has a path where he can walk in there and eventually be – the every down running back for that team. Because I think I mean, he could be the guy this year. I, I agree with you on that. And I think year, so you're talking redraft. He's the guy that I think has a better upside chance this year, even though if we're talking like dynasty, you know, I'd probably rather have a JK Dobbins in that offense for the next three or four years. But if we're talking redraft for just this year, I mean, listen, Mark Ingram, whether Dobbins eventually takes him over or not, it's still a roll of the dice. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. So do you really take a guy like that over a guy like Akers, who's probably more likely to have a bigger role this year? So that's why I said it depends on which way you're looking at. For sure. I think Dobbins is going to have more of a handcuff value in uh, season-long, like, redraft leagues, whereas Dynasty, you're right, a 1,000%. Plus, you know, the situations matter. But I think to your point, yeah, because I think Los Angeles is going to have this, like, weird thing going on in offense where – you know, that team's kind of looking for another identity. And I think Cam Akers with Gurley now gone can easily kind of step into there and be like, hey, look, look who's here. Plus, I mean, if you look at his college numbers, he was a beast on a terrible team. So, I mean, give this guy some blocking and I think he's going to drastically, you know, improve his game. So, okay, we talked about Akers. Now let's talk about later in the first round, I guess, second round of most dynasty leagues. And I guess these are just back-end young rookies that a lot of these people will know, but uh, maybe some you won't. Here's one more running back I wanted to talk on and see what your thoughts are. Zach Moss. Now, I know Devin Singletary is a young guy in Buffalo as well, but I think he's sneaky. I think he could sneak in with some value in, in the second round. I mean, there's a 1,000 receivers going in the second round of Dynasty Draft. Mm-hmm. Zach Moss is the only running back I'm seeing other than, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn, but to be honest – I'm just not biting the cake of the whole Tom Brady running back thing. I'd rather kind of take the gamble on Zach Moss. What, what, what do you say to that? I, I guess I would be on the other side of the coin there because I would rather take the gamble on Keyshawn Vaughn. Interesting. And the, the reason for it is exactly what you said. I mean, Moss – see, if you're thinking about – you're drafting Moss because he's going to be on the Bills for the next three years, right? Correct. Best and be their goal line guy. I, well, that's what I was going to say. It's like what you're really looking at for him is – so if you're in like a dynasty non-PPR league. Touchdowns, exactly. Yeah, if you're playing in like a mm-hmm. standard league where that touchdown is big, all right, I can see it. Mm-hmm. But when I'm making a first or second round dynasty pick, 
I'm looking more at what's the potential ceiling for this guy, even if he doesn't get there, even if he doesn't get there, which guy could have a bigger ceiling, right? And when you look at that Buffalo situation, I think at best, Moss becomes the, and, and this is best case scenario, is he sure. becomes the first and second, he becomes Derek Henry, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that's the best case scenario, I think, for him. I don't think he's ever going to be a great back over there. <laughs> and I, and I, even, I don't even think that like the Derek Henry thing is like absolute best case scenario. Mm-hmm. He could wind up being like a, you know, I'm trying to think of some guy like a, like a Matt Asiata from the Minnesota Vikings a couple of years ago. <laughs> I was going to say like a Lou Garrett like a touchdown dependent running back. But yeah. no, I, so my only reason for bringing up Moss, and I think it's interesting because, so you, I bring up Keyshawn Vaughn because these are two running backs that I think are so interesting. They have other young running backs next to them. And I think, and we were going to get into some buy or sell, but we could bring it up now. I think there's a lot of situations in the NFL that this young passage of players is kind of coming through to compete. And I don't really know which way to play it in fantasy. Ideally, you want to get them both. But it's like, let's talk about Keyshawn Vaughn. You have a 22-year-old former second-round pick in Ronald Jones there. And then you have a young rookie running back who they also, you know, invested something in and has some ceiling. So it's, it's a tough play. And then you even talk about Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. And we can oh, talk that's about an easy one for me. What's up? That's an easy one for me. Yeah, that's an easy one. But just – how do you think you should play this? I, I guess in season long, try to handcuff them would be an easy way to go about it. But in no terms way. of – just to, uh, The Jonathan Taylor thing, I think, is, is a situation all by itself. So let's talk, let's talk about that. Fair enough. So I do a lot of, I do a lot of um, best ball leagues right now. I've already started doing them. Um, I do a lot of them on a whole bunch of different sites, and I do a lot of them with guys who – not only that I work with or that I have worked with in the past, but guys that are pretty sharp guys whose, whose opinions that, you know, I, I really take, take to heart when I'm doing my own drafting. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor very, very rarely last past the third round. And a lot of times he's even getting drafted before the third round. And I'm talking redraft leagues with every single player in the NFL available in there. To me, he is already the guy that most people are considering as the guy. With Marlon Mack basically being an afterthought at best. Marlon Mack has seen in the early season ADP, there is nobody I've seen dropping faster than Marlon Mack. Wow. Interesting. Well, I mean, Jonathan Taylor was my favorite running back out of the draft. So, I mean, you you really aren't going to find another, you know, bigger supporter of his game than me too. I mean, I think a lot of people give him a bad rap and I think, you know, one of the reasons he dropped too during the uh, draft was obviously the cliche about running backs, but like they were using his own numbers and success and the fact that he had a good offensive line against him, which, you know, it's like you hear it all the time. Oh, Wisconsin running backs, Wisconsin running backs, but like, he's a different player. Like, I don't know. Like I just don't feed into it. And if you look at his thighs and you look at his game, I just think he's a hard enough runner. He fits the NFL very well. Well, here's the other thing, too, is like the analytics guys, you know, they laugh when they hear that, oh, well, he ran behind a good offensive line in college. He was drafted by the Colts, who have one of the (laughs) best offensive lines in the NFL. So what you're basically saying is, wow, is this guy's game going to transfer from college to the NFL? So what you're saying is he has an above-average offensive line in college and put up ridiculous numbers with it. Insane. And now he's going to go to an above-average offensive line in the NFL, with the Colts actually having one of the weaker schedules this year, too. So. It's basically perfectly tailor-made for 
a running back to step in and put up just a monster year there. Now, I don't think that Marlon Mack is going to be completely out of the picture. I don't think Which so, is why Jonathan Taylor, to me, is not a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. But that's literally the kind of production that this guy can put up. And like I said, if you're in a draft and he's still there in the third round of a 12-team draft, just know that a lot of the sharp guys are not letting him get to the third round or not letting him get deep into the third round of a 12-team draft. And we're still two months out from training camp in the beginning of the season. And they're already looking at this guy as like, this is a legit pick that you really got to worry about. So I'd be very nervous if I was a Marlon Mack owner right now. And I would definitely be looking to get shares of Jonathan Taylor and Dynasty if you can. Because if he steps in right now and just starts, he could give you production this year and for the next three or four years at a minimum until, you know, God only knows what happens after that. But he's a good pick, I think. As a Marlon Mack owner, I am deeply concerned. <laughs> but again, I mean, in Dynasty, here's the thing about Marlon Mack, too. Um, he has in value I, outside of the Colts as well. You know, he's a good Well, he will player. next year because this is yeah. the last year of his contract. And I, sure. I think they've already basically said that they're not resigning him, which is also why they went out and got JT in the first place. Mm-hmm. Marlon Mack is going to – Marlon Mack, even if it's not with the Colts, he's going to wind up on somebody's team next year. And sure. Marlon Mack, we've seen when he's healthy – he can he can produce. So oh, I, I, don't, sure. I wouldn't I wouldn't go cutting him yet if you're in a dynasty league. But I'm not really high on him in redraft. Well, so what I already see, I see the writing on the wall. You know, we talked about the early round, first round situation. If this is redraft, now you're talking about like third round. Most guys, most sharp guys, if they do have an early round pick, I mean that's your back to back RB right there. I mean, if you mean to tell me he's going to last until the end of the second on the snake draft, I can get one of the top three guys and Zeke McCaffrey or Barkley and then get him on the wrap, I mean, you're good. And then if you're really worried, take Mac as your handcuff deep wherever he's falling, you know, yeah. or even reach on him. And like we said, I mean, it justifies, you know, you have your handcuff in that. And it's a solid backfield to play as an RB2. Yeah, so pre-draft, you were seeing Marlon Mack going pre-NFL draft and like the, the super early best ball, the way too early best ball drafts. You were seeing Marlon Mack going in like the second, third round. Yeah. Now, the draft I was in, you know, some of the drafts I've been doing in the last week, you're seeing Marlon Mack drop into, like, ADP, like, I think his ADP is above 70 right now. So, you're wow. talking sixth round or later. And, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, that could even keep slipping. Like, I've seen him go eighth, ninth round in some drafts where people are just, like, not dealing with that situation. So, that should tell you everything you need to know about – uh how the Colts running game should be working out this year, just the way that people are drafting those two guys. And most of the time, unless you have like a Colts fan in your league, they're going to, people will bow out or at least on a guy like Marlon Mack, they'll tip the uh, tip the cap to the guy who has the other running back. So, okay. We talked about Zach Moss just because I like stirring the pot and getting people's takes on random players. Um, What are these young receivers though? So the receivers are obviously kind of later in value and there's just a glump within 10 picks there. You got your top guys in Judy, Lamb, Ruggs, who I can't wait to hear your opinion on Ruggs. But, um, you know, those are your top guys. And then it just gets into that mush of Rieger, Pittman Jr., Higgins, Ayuk, Jefferson. You have Justin Jefferson, both, both Jeffersons, and Chenault. So which of those kind of not first-round guys or late first-round guys do you see uh, kind of taking that first big step this year as a rookie? Yeah, so for me, the guy I like the most is probably Judy. And I'll explain why I think Judy's the guy that I like the most of all these wide receivers here is 
I think Judy and C.D. Lamb coming into the draft were head and shoulders above the rest of this class. Mm. I think John Gruden is a fucking clown for drafting Henry Ruggs first. It's, you know what? Like, if you wanted Henry Ruggs that bad and that was really the guy you wanted, then trade that. Like, because you could have easily gotten him. I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I put a bet, though, that the Jets were going to draft him one spot before it just because I was like, Adam Gase is a clown. <laughs> but All right, well, you know, I, mean, I was wrong. I was wrong by one pick. I just knew it was coming. Yeah. I knew it was coming. All <laughs> right, so let's, let's talk about Ruggs because a lot of people want to talk about him. Assuming that everything is fine after he got into the uh, accident trying to move his friend's stuff and got ran Twisting over by the furniture car. through the yeah, uh, what the, the I, you know what? Like, first off, you just signed a million multi million dollar contract. Hire somebody to do that, dude. Like, <laughs> some dude will do it for fifty bucks. You're not yeah, is he moving out of <laughs> Alabama? Where was he moving going? Like, where, where? I was gonna say, like, I could buy you a case of beer and you could come over and move a couch for me. Like, you don't need yeah, to do I that mean, if you're rich. Like, it, it, it's it, you shouldn't be taking that chance. But besides that fact, all right, so. What is the best case scenario for a Henry Ruggs? The best case scenario for him is Tyreek Hill, right? That's yeah. the best case scenario. But that would mean like that's like the one in 100 shot. Everything works out for him. He turns out to be an absolute stud. Well, not everything works out for him. Well, let's well, not talk about it. Everything from now on works out for him. Yeah, whatever. You know, but, but either way, that, that's his point, right? I don't think he's better than Tyreek Hill. I don't think he's even in the same class as Tyreek Hill other than the world-class speed that he has, right? For sure. But here's the thing that I have, right, is at some point you have to look at a guy's production. Why would you take the guy who was less productive just because he has 4-3 speed? If he was such a menace on the football field, wouldn't they have gotten him the ball more often when he was in college? That's the way I look at it. Now, again, I understand there are 10 other stars on that team, guys that made it to the pros, all this stuff. You're spreading it around. But when you watch the game, he never looked like he dominated a football game to me. Mm-mm. He's the 12, what was he, a 12th overall pick, 13th overall pick, whatever number that was. First wide receiver. That's yeah, all that matters. First wide receiver off the board. And to me, it was just like, he, to me, he's a one-dimensional speedster that you throw on the outside. To me, he's basically the exact same guy as Tyrell Williams. So I didn't really think it was a good fit. I don't really like the quarterback that they have there. I don't really like the way that they ran their offense last year for a wide receiver. I mean, basically, they're just going to pound the ball with Josh Jacobs, right? Like that's They're going to feed him. He's going to eat so much. And I love Josh Jacobs. But if you love Josh Jacobs and you think they're going to pound the run, how does that benefit a wide receiver? Mm-hmm. So you look at all those things. Play action, if best case scenario. And that just means he's getting a shot a game, which they're going to give him anyways. Which, and this is my thing is, he's basically, he's basically in the Tyreek Hill, Deshaun Jackson kind of mold, yeah. where he's going to be that guy that is going to have a game this year where he catches four balls for a buck 60 and two touchdowns and absolutely wins somebody a million dollars on DraftKings and has this huge, like, 30-point day and helps everybody who have him win their fantasy league. He'll do that one week. For sure. But he's also going to have eight (laughs) weeks where he catches two of the five balls they throw deep to him for like 47 yards, which even in a PPR is going to be six fantasy points. And that's what you're going to get out of him. You know, a guy like Judy could wind up getting seven to ten targets a game. You know, especially if Cortland Sutton starts – getting the attention that number one wide receivers tend to get. And he should get. 
for that sure. he should get and he deserves. And I love Cortland Sutton. I think he's a stud. I had told you before this, I have him as a top 15 wide receiver. And I feel like he's falling to me in every draft because I feel like I have him valued higher than everybody else does. <laughs> I like keeps winding up on my team. Mm-hmm. If, if, if Cortland Sutton has a big year, I'm going to have a really good best ball year because he's on a lot of my best ball teams because I value him higher than other people do and I always get him. But even with Judy, too, I think Judy's a guy who could wind up having a lot of targets on that team, putting a lot of catches there. I think C.D. Lamb is also just as talented as Judy. To me, that was a tough call which one of them I like more. But I like the landing spot so much better for Judy. Mm-hmm. I know Dak is a good quarterback, and I know Dallas is a great offense. But you have Michael Gallup there. You still have Armani Cooper there. At best, he's the fourth option on that team behind Zeke and those other two wide receivers. Yeah. So barring an injury to one of those two guys, and even with one of those two guys there, I still think his best case is Judy's case, being the number two wide receiver on a, on a team. So to me, Judy is clearly the wide receiver that I have the most interest in this year, and honestly, probably even going forward. Well, so I'll give you your reasons for liking Judy as well. I'll give you the one reason I liked him so much was because he's always open. He always runs himself open. I thought he was the best pure route runner in the draft. I said I give him the inch over Lamb for two reasons. One, he's the better route runner, and I just felt like in bigger games, I saw Judy just dominating competition and showing up more than Lamb, and they were both in big games because he played in Oklahoma and they played in Alabama. So I like Judy as well. I just think it's very interesting to see a rookie and you know, to your point, I think he should thrive because I think it's Sutton's time to really step into that wide receiver one role. But I think it'll be interesting to see him fit in that Denver offense because I think that offense is going to explode this year, or at least they're trying to. You got no offense. You got some running backs there that you could toy around with and Lindsey and whatnot. Um, and, yeah, it seems like they believe in Drew Locke. I, listen, they're in the same division as the Chiefs. So I think they realize, well, we better start putting up fucking points or it's not going to be least, fun for us. That's at least two games during the year that's going to have 60 points in it right there. So that's going to be 25 or 30 for them, and that's going to be some touchdowns. So like you said, they, they have the quarterback in place that they like, although I think, I think Drew Locke was a little – they had a really soft schedule when he put up mm-hmm. some of those wins at the end of last season. So I, I don't think that that means he can't be good. I just think people need to pump the brakes a little bit. I, you know, like when, when a guy has a tough schedule and still plays really well, then you can be like, all right, they threw the best that they had at this guy and he held up to it. This guy's got a future. I'm not saying because the schedule was soft, lock can't be good. I'm just saying people need to understand that what he did might not be representative of what to expect from him this year because they're going to have a tougher path this year tougher schedule, tougher games, and the, the crap that they got at the end of the last season when he went on that little run. Mm. So to me, again, I'm not making a decision one way or another. I guess the best way I can say this is the jury is still out on Drew Locke for me. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I would not be shocked if he takes a, a, a big backward step this year. And that would be big for those other guys' value then because obviously he's the quarterback and they would be the receivers. Um, but to note on Drew Locke, I saw like a redraft, like a complete redraft. Some guy did a mock and they had like Drew Locke within like the first 12 picks. It was 
the most I, disgusting. Thing. Every you talk about the one for every the. I think yeah, it's like every NFL every team. They had like Watson going to the Giants. It was bad. It was every like, and it was every NFL player. If you did a redraft of the entire league, like Matt yeah, it was. Tom. It was like thirty quarterbacks of the first thirty-two picks. I was like, yeah, I'm sure. I, I saw the same thing that you're talking about here, and the guy got dragged hardcore on Twitter. <laughs> he deserves it. Yeah, people um, were like, it's just John Elway's burner account right now. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> Let's not even get into executives and burner accounts. Completely <laughs> different rabbit hole. Let's get into buy or sell. Okay, I can cross some of these off the list. We got Jonathan Taylor. Okay, wait. Uh, did you I, make any comments on uh, Ronald Jones? You just said you like Keyshawn Vaughn. No. No, no Ronald Jones for you. No Rojo. I, I, I've I've jumped on that train before, and it's uh it got off track real fast. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, fair. Are you on the Kenyon Drake train this year? By I would say yes. I mean, listen, Kenyon Drake is in that. There's a group of running backs that I really like that are going at the end of first rounds. Um, he's right behind those guys. So to me, he's like a I'm not mid- taking Kenyon Drake at the end of the first round. I assure you of that. Mid, he's a mid to late second round draft pick. If you don't take him mid to late second round, you're not getting him. So. That's fine. Yeah, I would. I, I just I don't feel comfortable with him. I I know the talent. I get it. I just I I know the offense. I get it all. But again, I think he exploded. I I'm I'm just cautious with guys who explode late like that. But then again, I was cautious with Derrick Henry for the same reason last year. He just did the same fucking thing again the next year. You know, he had the great end to a season i was like oh let's not believe it and then all right so let's see who else <laughs> well like where where are you where are you thinking about Kenyon drake like are you thinking Ken, like i have Kenyon drake after like Josh here's Baker, what i'm more worried about okay here's what i worry about with Kenyon drake i don't even have a spot for him because i don't trust that he's the true rb1 they have Edmund's still there i like Eno benjamin as a young little scrappy prospect out of arizona state he's a homebody it's just, I just don't, he, he just sketches me out sometimes. His numbers always skewed. His fantasy numbers just seem to be so explosive sometimes. He does it all. I don't know. I don't know. I think they might pass a little bit more with Kyler Murray. D-Hop's there now. So we'll see. We will yeah. see. I like Drake. I'm buying on Drake, though. I'll buy on Drake. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Buy or sell. The Chiefs running back situation. How about that? Because you still got Damian Williams there. Ooh. I mean, listen, I, I think Edwards Hilaire is a very good player. I think he's going to wind up being the main guy, but I don't think being the main guy is going to mean 70, 80% of the touches. I think it means 55, 60 tops percent of the touches, which is not bad. Like, that's not, that's not bad. But the problem I have is because he plays for KC and because they're such a high-scoring offense and because they're so explosive and because it's Andy Reid and all that stuff, He's flying a little too high up draft boards for me. Yep. So I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm selling at his present ADP, but I, I think he's a very good player. Like, I, I don't have any – I don't hate on Edwards Hilaire. I just hate on the fact that other people are higher on him, and I will let those other people take him before I want to take him. No, that's fair. And there's players like that every year where it's like, I love him as a player. If he falls, I will be so happy to take him. Yeah. But some people just kind of – overdo it on him because again like they're stapling in because they made the brian westbrook comment that he's going to be rb1 but you know damian williams had a had himself a hell of a fucking super bowl i mean let's be real and, and i don't think that damian williams is not going to talk like that's the thing that that's i, I saying. is like yes edward solaire is talented damian williams is not bad either though and the thing is it's not 
it's not like, well, he's well, even if Edwards Hilaire is the starter, well, he's the starter. Okay. But there's a difference between being Christian McCaffrey and handling 95% of the snaps and being the starter and being, you know, Jordan Howard last year was a starter. Yeah. But he got 45, 55% of the snap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not all starters are created equal. Not all roles are created equal. Edward Solaire could be great, but I don't think he's going to get 65, 75% of the touches, let alone 80 or 90% of the touches like some of these other guys. So to me, he's, he's good. I like him. If Damian Williams gets hurt in training camp, I'd be a lot higher on him. For sure. But I just don't see him being more than maybe like a fourth-round pick this year, and he's going before that. And so now let's segue to another player that is getting a small amount of production when they should be getting a ton of production in Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, due for a big bounce-back year, I just traded him away in Dynasty. I'm indifferent about it. I just I – couldn't, I couldn't believe in the Steelers this year. I just like – I made an assessment early on. I know Big Ben is back, and he shaved everything, and he got a haircut. I just I'm, – I, I, I don't know. I think defense is still the strong suit on the team. I think Juju's just think he's going to get better with Big Ben there. But what is that saying? You know, Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges were the quarterbacks. And, you know, that's not his fault. I just don't think it's going to happen for him. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? This is a tough one for me. Like, so last year, Juju Smith-Schuster was a guy that was legit being a top five drafted wide receiver. Yeah. Because Antonio Brown was gone. Everybody's like, Juju's going to have 150 catches. It's going to be ridiculous. It's his breakout year. And things went so horribly wrong for that team. He, had, he was injured at times. Right ben away it went wrong. Yeah, Ben was injured. But here's the other thing, though. They made the decision in the middle of last season to become a defensive-minded football team. Yep. They went out. They brought in a couple pieces on defense. They, they really played very good defensively towards the end of the year. You know, they were getting pressure on the quarterback. They had good, uh, you know, good coverage on the outside. It was tough for teams to throw against them. It's a lot different than the run-and-gun Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Martavius Bryant years. Mike Wallace. You know, like, yeah, (laughs) this isn't Big Ben at 27, 28 years old anymore. This is Big Ben at the end of his career. This is Big Ben where, you know, he's in the John Elway with Terrell Davis, Peyton Manning kind of role where you're going to let your running game kind of carry you and you're going to let your defense carry you and your job is to be more of a game manager you know, they're not going to ask Ben to throw the ball 40 times anymore unless they're down and they have he to. He just has to hit his throws. That's what they're going to ask him to do, oh. you know, on second and eight when we have to ask you to pull it, you know, try to make a halfway decent throw. Don't skip it at yeah. his feet. So I don't see Juju as having that same type of ceiling that people saw him having last year because I don't think the team is going to play the same way this year. Now, with that said, Juju is another one of those guys who's been dropping because people are having a real tough time slotting juju in Mm -hmm. so i have him somewhere around like 10 to like 15 to 20 like he's so hard to slot he really is like do you put him ahead of guys like cooper cup and mike evans and and keenan allen and robert woods do you put him ahead of dj moore you know aj green is another one of those guys that i'm having trouble slotting um you know guys like uh you know, guys like uh, Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, like, are they ahead of him? You know, Cortland Sutton, where do you have him? DK Metcalf, like. Well, those are the second, third round guys that are just exactly. like a clusterfuck of just like 
They all look the same, at least in terms of numbers. So, and Juju to me is in with that group of guys. So that's right. I would say, like after you get past like the the Odell Beckham, Amari Cooper, like Allen Robinson kind of. I love Allen Robinson. Like to me, that's like Allen Robinson. I think I have tenth overall. And then after you get past Allen Robinson, that's when you start getting into all the decisions with all the names that I just said. There, do you go Juju? Do you go? In PPR, I'm higher on DJ Moore, too. I'm a big fan of DJ Moore, too. In Dynasty, I tried to trade for him. I I think he's – especially with that offense, the way it's going to be built with Teddy there, too, I think DJ Moore is Teddy Bridgewater's receiver. I just see it. He's a possession guy. You know, he's going to get 10 catches for 100 yards. He might not get a touchdown, but in PPR, that's a fucking day. He does get a touchdown. I forget it. All right, so I like that. Okay, let's talk about Allen Robinson's teammate. What the hell is going on with the Chicago Bears backfield? If I'm not mistaken, David Montgomery is supposed to be the second coming of God knows who, and he didn't really do much last year. Does he do anything? Is Tariq Cohen going to step up and be like a possession Darren Sproles freak this year? Or what's going to happen? I have no idea what's going on with the Bears. I, right? That's what I'm I, I mean, the best way I can say this is it's not – it's not a backfield that I'm really looking like Buffalo. I don't want to have a piece of the Buffalo backfield right now because between Singletary doing most of the between the twenties work and probably getting a lot of the receiving work, and then Moss stealing those touchdowns. I'm not really interested. Um, you know, the same thing for me with David Montgomery. Like I think Montgomery is basically the pounder back. They're still going to get to Cohen in there. Now, Cohen last year also played a lot of, like, out of the slot and stuff like that. It was weird the way they were using him. They were doing too much. They were doing way too much. Sometimes coaches think they're way smarter than everybody else when they really don't need to be. Like, you know, Cohen is a very talented guy. And I think it's the same problem that we talk about with a lot of those second-tier running backs right there is, like, their ceiling is probably 60% market share. But look what happened when a a possession receiver like Austin Eckler last year, you give him the rock. I mean, granted, it's fantasy number-wise, but it ended up working so much so in their favor, they're like, we don't even need Melvin Gordon. Like, that's how well a possession receiver who's undersized in Eckler performed. And it's crazy that a guy like Cohen, who the year before was doing everything for them, just like they got Montgomery and they're like, okay, this is the guy. This is going to be the guy. So I think that's a weird situation. Plus – you got to think Foles is going to be a hand the ball to the running back kind of quarterback. I mean, especially at his age and just like how he plays. So I feel like the Bears running back, you know, backfield should have value. You know, Jordan Howard was a thousand yard rusher there as well, but they haven't really figured anything out, you know, over the last two years. So there's leagues, there's leagues where you draft like offensive lines and you get points for like how well all the running backs together do or how well mm-hmm. like rushing yards do. In a league like that, I would like Chicago's offensive line. But, again, my problem with fantasy is when you're trying to pick a running back, again, I'm not saying that David Montgomery is not going to get any work. I'm not saying that Tariq Cohen's going to get all the work. I'm saying there will be a somewhat even distribution, in my opinion, of work. That doesn't mean that Montgomery might not see a little bit more or might not see the bulk of the rushing. But every rushing carry, every receiving catch is worth two and a half to three rushing carries. So even if, you know, David Montgomery gets 15 carries a game, if Cohen gets five catches a game, they're both equally important to the offense and have a chance to put up fantasy points. And the fact that it's not like Christian McCaffrey is going to get those 15 carries that 
David Montgomery has and the five catches that Tariq Cohen has. I don't want to take guys that are in these 50-50 splits. I mean, we talked about running back early drafts. This is why I want to draft running back early because I want to get two or three guys that I think can do the 60, 75, 80% of their workload as opposed to having to end up with three or four guys with 50, 55% of their team's workload. I just, I don't want to be in that range. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. All right. I got one more guy. We're going to move away from running backs here. And this is a guy who killed me in one league. Thank God I only took him in one league, but you know what? It was my own fault. I should have known it wasn't going to work out, but Brandon cooks, he was a fantasy darling for years. Thousand yard receiver possession guy traded again. No one wants him traded again, but now he's in Houston. No D hop. What do you think? You buying or selling Brandon Cooks? Do you think he could bounce back? And remember, this is important because I really was set on not taking him again. But if you say I should, I might have to do it. <laughs> so, I mean, am I how high how high up am I moving him on the list, or what do you what do we? Uh, you what know what? About? Let's go with because well, do you have him, you have him as the, as the wide receiver one in Houston, or do you have Fuller taking that step? I think I actually have Fuller ahead of him okay. for fantasy. But I think it's more along the lines of like again, I'm doing a lot of best ball drafts right now. So yeah. I was I've been taking Fuller ahead of him, but it's sure. also because I think he has more upside than Fuller does, which is why like I fully expect Fuller to miss at least three or four games this year. But if he <laughs> plays ten or eleven games, I also expect there's gonna be three or four where he goes nuts and you know has like, like every three, year. Yeah, like of course. Three I mean, for a buck seventy and two Will Fuller and Deshaun Watson have a weird connection. I mean, sure. they just go off sometimes. I mean, if you're asking me like buy or sell, like here's the here's my yeah. problem with Brandon Cooks. It's like last year, all three Rams wide receivers were going like top twenty five wide receivers being drafted. Mm-hmm. Right. This year, I have actually moved up Cooper Cup and um, Robert Woods to like. The mid, like, I think Coop Cup, I have like 13 or 14th overall, and I think I have Woods like 17, 18, 19, so a little higher than I had them last year. Cooks was right there with those guys last year. Mm-hmm. Cooks right now is being drafted like wide receiver 30 something, so he should be wide receiver three. But I'm thinking, like, as a late flex flyer, I kind of like the idea of it, but that's what I was gonna say is like where he's being drafted right now, I kind of like it. I think I have him on a couple teams where I took him, mm-hmm. but I'm not reaching for him. Like he's, he was, you know, wide receiver, like 30 wide receiver, 35. You're talking like pick 60 plus. So you're talking like sixth round, you know, six yeah. round Brandon cooks. I don't hate that. Third yeah, round Brandon cooks. Like he's been in the years past fourth round, Brandon cooks, not reaching that high up sixth or seventh round, you know, seventh round in a, like a six round in a 10 team or seventh round in a 12 team, something like that. I'm interested in him. It was nuts that the Rams last year, I remember distinctly, and I took Cup in this situation, but I had a situation where the top three best available were all three Rams receivers. And it's like, here, go ahead, pick one. They were, in a lot of people's um, rankings last year, they were all, like, right around 20. That's why I said yeah, it's like, go ahead, like, pick the best like one. like, 19, 20, 21, or, like, 20, 21, 22. And it was a question that everybody was having last year is, I, I get to this point in the draft, and I have the three Rams wide receivers, which one do I pick? And, I mean, I made the wrong – well, I don't know. I mean, Cooper Cup had some big games early in the year and then kind of fell off a little later. In yeah. The year. I, was, I was big team Cup, and I'm still team Cup this year as For the sure. guy. I just think he's the guy that benefits a guy like Jared, uh, Jared Goff the most because he's always in the slot. And I really don't think Jared Goff's a very good quarterback. So, 
the closer to him that you can be, the, the more I think you're going to see the ball because he kind of panics a little bit and just wants to get rid of it. And the thing is, Cup was, Cup was one of those guys in college that had, like, an obscene amount of catches. So, like, working out of the slot and being a high-volume wide receiver, it's not new to him. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's something he's been able to do. So, I would rather have probably both of the Rams wide receivers right now ahead of Brandon Cooks. But the fact that if you're looking at ADP, I think Brandon Cooks at an ADP in the 30s for wide receivers, um, you know, like 60, 70 overall, is a lot better deal than taking Cooper Cup or, you know, Robert Wood in like the top 15 wide receivers, which is where I've seen him going. That's fair. And Cup has some injury concerns. But other than that, he's a PPR freak. That's why I went with Cup for the most part. Uh, Both the leagues, the one I took Cooks in was actually just because I had – taking cup in two other leagues and I'm like, all right, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So I took the other PPR guy, but that's why I kind of, you know, bottomed out. I wasn't surprised. It just sucked that, you know, he really fell off a cliff last year. So that's Cooks is another guy, like a lot of these guys that we've been talking about that his big games come when he catches a deep one, you know, like if he catches a deep ball, he gets it. But there's a lot of games where his numbers just look really pedestrian for fantasy. It's like six fantasy points, seven fantasy points. Like, that shit kills your team when you have too many of those guys, you know? Oh, yeah. You're just going to catch one over the middle. And that's literally all he does. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I, I wanted to end on that note just because Cooks was really the guy who uh, really fucked me last year. I couldn't really think of anyone else who stood out. I actually had a pretty good uh, season long last year, which rarely ever happens. I normally go like stacks. One time I had uh, Rodgers and Jordy Nelson as a stack. Um, and Rodgers broke his collarbone and Jordy Nelson uh, – lost his career in the same season so that that was that was a real that was a fun one so that's it for the buy and sell but i have one more thing for us i have one more thing for us to do we're going to switch out of fantasy here we're going to have a little fun the conversation shouldn't last too long because i think there's only one answer but there was another thing floating around the internet here that was who would win the steroid error home run derby and now you had better eyes to this so you could attest to these 90s hitters a little bit better than i who was born midway through the 90s however I pick Barry Bonds. Of the Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, A-Rod, Manny, Matt Stairs, an ensemble of home run hitters, who do you got? Yeah, it's Barry Bonds. It's not even a question. Like, Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds was the most – put it this way, dude. And, again, this might have been a little bit before your time, right? But Barry Bonds was one of the – Barry Bonds was basically Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I know. Day. <laughs> before, he, before he started taking steroids. On crack, Barry Bonds. Like, he, he's Mike Trout on crack. I've seen things. One of my first and earliest baseball memories were watching Barry Bonds just being intentionally walked all the time. So that was the level I needed to hit in my life. This is what people need to understand about Barry Bonds. It's like Barry Bonds had that 70 home run season, and he might have only seen 80 actual pitches he could hit that whole fucking season. <laughs> because there were times where teams would literally – and his – the offense around him was trash. There was never anybody on base, so it's not like teams had to, like, over force the pitch to this guy. Barry Bonds here's, – here's the answer <laughs> to this question. Sum it up very easily for you right here. Barry Bonds got walked with the bases loaded. Yep. You would rather give the team a run than give Barry Bonds two or three chances to put a ball into the fucking river because yeah. that's how feared of a hitter he was. McGuire was great. Manny was one of my favorite hitters of all time. If you like baseball, Manny Ramirez is how you want to teach your kid how to be a hitter. Like, he really is. Exciting. Manny in his prime was, was unbelievable. But to me, to me, there's not a single one of them that holds a torch to, to Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is the reason why the steroid era 
got blown up because yeah, he, he got hot. Person. He brought it into the 2000s. <laughs> he became – he was so good without the steroids that when he took them too, it was just like he became that's a video fair. game. He became a video game. Like that's literally what happened. He was so he was good they didn't so put him in video head. games. They yeah. didn't put him in the video games. You couldn't yeah. play as him as a kid. You'd be no. like, oh, let's play as the Giants. And they were terrible. They were awful because you couldn't play. All you could play as is Jeff Kent. Who wants to play as Jeff Kent? I want to play as Barry Bonds. Even Mets fans don't want to play as Jeff Kent. Like, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, we don't. And here's another thing. I took it one step f- uh, further. Imagine he did that in Yankee Stadium when, like, Josh, Ham- like Josh Hamilton Yankee Stadium. You think he would put more out than Josh Hamilton? I think he has a really good shot at it. Honestly, old format, not new format. The new Lefty. format – Give you the chance. Lefty, lefty swing, short porch. Oh my God. Like, and, and see, the thing, here's the thing is that a lot of people don't understand either. It's like, he played his home games in San Francisco. Nobody hits home runs in San Francisco. He hit him dead and center. He, he hit him right runs. center. Like, his, yeah, like, his record breaking, he passed Hank Aaron right center, the deepest part of the park, and he knew it was gone. That's insane. Ken Griffey Jr., I grew up in the Ken Griffey Jr. era. Like, you know, that was, like, the first yep. big baseball card I had. I was, like, 10 years old at the time. Like, you know, mm-hmm. 1990, all that stuff. To me, Ken Griffey Jr. was, like, if you want to teach a kid – if you, if, if you want to teach somebody how to be a baseball player, you show them 20-year-old-ish 20 year Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, yeah. And you, you say, like, this is, this is the swing. This is, this is the look. This is the, the – he had it all. Dude, everything. Mm-hmm. To me, Barry Bonds – even before the steroids was probably on par, if not better than Ken Griffey Jr. After the steroids, it, it literally wasn't even close. Like I couldn't even make the argument as much as I love Ken Griffey Jr. Oh yeah. Barry Bonds was a better baseball player than Ken Griffey Jr. Now, again, you could say it was aided by the steroids. I agree 100%. But at the same point in time, he became, like I said, he became a video game. There are very few guys that are so much better than everybody else. It's ridiculous. All those other guys were great. You know, Maguire was great. Sosa was great. Manny was great. Alex Rodriguez, as much as people hate his attitude, baseball player-wise, was a fucking hell of a baseball player. Yep. None of them are on the same level as broided up Barry Bonds. It wasn't even close. Wasn't well, even close. So I kept Griffey out of it, and someone had said it because on the, uh, like, flyer itself, they're like, don't throw Griffey in this because it's not fair. He didn't take steroids. And he wasn't, yeah. He not wasn't. only that, he wasn't – the sickest thing, I think, about Griffey was he had every reason to not be – a just power hitter. He could have just been this textbook contact, like defensive, because he was so good at defense too. He oh, he got like a ton of gold gloves. Like he was a stud. That's what I mean. And so the fact that he was keeping track made him like the best all around player. Because once Bond started getting husky, it was like, you know, you knew why he was there. He was there to hit. He's not well, there. here's 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 the best the best difference between the two. Right? Is what ultimately ended Ken Griffey Jr.'s career. His body broke down in his mid thirties because. Yeah. You're not supposed to still have a – you're not supposed to still be playing like you're a 25-year-old kid in your mid-30s. Yeah. What, what happened to all these other guys? They all took the roids. They played till they were 40. They played like they were 25-year-old kids in their 40. Dude, I would have loved to have another five or six years of Pete Ken Griffey Jr. Pete Ken Griffey Jr. for another five or six years. Look at the numbers he put up. Oh, yeah. Without – with, with missing all that time. When he went back to Cincinnati and all that stuff. You give him another five years of the kind of production that – these other guys we're talking about had on steroids the end of their careers. Oh, my God. Ken Griffey Jr. might have been the greatest player in baseball in history if you added that to him. 
you want to know what one of the weirdest things is too, and I want to check this up real quick, but I'm pretty sure. So A-Rod, and the one thing I was going to note about A-Rod, I don't give A-Rod any home run credits anymore when he didn't come back to hit his 700th. I'm pretty sure A-Rod has 699. And he like, they were like, just come back and try to hit another one. He's like, no, what a, what a weird move. Just get 700. What are you doing? Stop it at 699. I know but everyone you know, hates you. You know the way talk radio is. What would have been the talk that entire... Like Mr. 3000. They named it Mr. 3000 and he never got his 3000th hit. What was the point of the movie? Yeah, well, that, I mean, I can't argue that one. But the A-Rod <laughs> thing, I don't really knock A-Rod for. Really? Because if he would have came back just to get the record, that entire offseason, all the time... Because mm. people hate A-Rod anyway. So the entire yeah. offseason, all the talk would be... He's just coming back to get the 700. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to play anymore. He, his heart's not in it. Blah, 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 blah. 696. I lied. Okay, 696. So he's four away, but still. Yeah, he could have easily got it with one more year. Here's the deal. I hated A-Rod. I hated A-Rod's personality, but I will say this. I love him as an analyst when he does the ESPN stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a video of him, Frank Thomas, and Pete Rose talking hitting. Oh yeah, which I literally made my son and all his all his teammates on his uh, travel baseball team watch because it was like, dude, he's I play baseball. Talking about his knuckles, you remember that? He's talking about his knuckles being. The best thing, the best thing, Pete Rose is like, it doesn't matter what pitchers are throwing, what it is. There's only four things you do. If you're ahead, you move back. If if you're late, you move back. If you're early, you move up. If he's throwing you inside and you can't extend your hands, you back up. If he's throwing it to the outside and you need to reach it, you move forward. You never change your swing. Because I, I, they were taught, you know, it was, honestly, if you haven't seen the video, just go go to YouTube. Type in Frank Thomas, Pete Rose, Alex Rodriguez. It's like 10 or 12 minutes long. They sit there, they talk all things hitting. I, we need more of that in sports media. We need, we, if players really want to make a bigger impact on kids and the future and, and the sports media industry. We need more of that stuff and less of them, like, you know, yelling and screaming about other guys getting money or arguing about players and owners and shit like that. I 100% get what you're saying. And and the thing with that one was, I'm pretty sure it was during the postseason. They didn't really get Pete Rose involved ever in analyst, uh, like analyst stuff mm-hmm. other than the postseason. And, you know, it's shitty that the relationship's like that because that's another guy. Pete Rose is arguably the best hitter of all time when you really get down to it. I mean, he is the hit king, gambled on baseball. Didn't gamble on himself, okay? He was too much of a competitor to gamble on himself, but it's still frowned upon, and I understand it, but he's the man. And getting all those guys in the room together, again, you could say the same thing about A-Rod, but listen to them talk baseball, and nothing else matters. I mean, the, yeah, it was awesome. I've seen that before, too. Highly recommended. Uh, but that's it. That's all we got. That's all we got for now. That was bomb. Uh, tons of fantasy advice. I told these guys prior to uh, listening to this interview that if they listen to you talk, they will make money. Um, I think we, I think we stood true to that. I think we stood true to that. I think there was some money making advice given out today. Well, you know what? We'll know by the end of the football season. So hopefully, but uh, I'll tell you what, if you guys lose money this season, you can know that I did as well because I'm playing and drafting the same guys. I just basically told you guys, if you're in the best ball draft with me in the next week, you pretty much know everybody I'm going after at this point. So there you go. Yeah, so when I draft with Benny this season, I'm just going to take all his players. I'm taking Will Fuller. I'm taking Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> Change the strategy up. Honestly, that might help you out. That will be the league you win in this scenario. Because well, you know what? When we actually do drafts and we're actually together, we're usually too fucked up to remember anything. <laughs> I just chalk up whatever that league costs us to play in as my, you know. Yeah. It's like, hey, we're going out for a night. Pays for the beer at the draft. Yeah. That's yeah, that exactly. league. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, no, that is a good one. I'll see if I uh, – I don't even know if we have room in that league anymore, but you're not missing anything. I am the champion in that league, so I might not want you in it. That's I don't need I'm competition. Not leaving, I'm, not the, I'm not leaving the beach for a fucking football draft anyway. So <laughs> yeah. You the coronavirus is gone. You're not going to see me, so it don't matter. Um, but anyways, thank you for coming on. I'm sure I'll say thank you on behalf of the people for the advice. This will happen again. Maybe I'm trying, I think, to do like a mock draft thing on here. We'll see how the hell that goes. But uh, I do want to do more fantasy content. So obviously, you are the guy to do it. Um, other than Twitter, can you tell the people where else they can follow you or find you or check your shit out? Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to, uh, you know, to follow everything I'm doing is over on uh, Twitter at BennyR11. Um, I, I am a minority owner of a bunch of websites right now about three or four of them at this point we just keep buying new ones so i don't, I don't know <laughs> i don't know what the powers that be are doing but uh you know my daily fantasy stuff is over at elitefantasy.com my season-long fantasy stuff you can find at fantasyguru.com and um i also do a lot of stuff on the sports betting side of the market over at elitesportsbetting.com and then um you know the youtube channel over at elite fantasy hq You'll see a lot of videos like this, like me talking with other guys, like I'm doing with Steve here. There's some about fantasy. There's some about gambling. There's some about, you know, daily fantasy, season-long fantasy. We, we talk a little bit of esports on a couple. I bring some esports guys on. Basically, I have a big Rolodex from working in this industry for the last 10 mm -hmm. years or so of a whole bunch of people who are experts in a whole bunch of things. And I pretty much take the advice of experts in, in everything and Try to use it to make money. It's a very good strategy for the rest of you in life, too. Sounds like a plan. Follow this man. Get the content. This is free content. You might as well pay for some content while we're here. You know, this is free right here. But anyways, Benny, thank you for coming on again. Uh, awesome time. Enjoy the show. Yeah, you know it. That interview with Benny Ricciardi was brought to you by The Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? All right, guys, that's our show. Thank you again for tuning in. We do have one thing to note before I leave as I close the curtain here on Tuesday. Um, Late-breaking news here as Aldrich Rosas, uh, it is reported that he has been arrested for a hit-and-run in California. He was going 100 miles an hour. Uh, blew a red light and ended up T-boning a big truck in front of him, decided to flee the scene by foot where he would eventually get arrested. Uh, apparently, he had no shoes on. He was barefoot. Doesn't really make much sense to me. He must have been pretty hammered to uh, be going 100 miles an hour, um, either shoeless or, you know, when he fled the scene to take his shoes off. I don't know. It's such a weird move. A lot to dissect. Almost a full show needed. But uh, we'll have more details by the time... Uh, we have time to tape next week. In the meantime, that is something to keep you guys updated on. Uh, Aldrick Rosas, kicker for the New York Giants, is arrested for a hit and run. So we'll see what happens. But on that note, we're going to wrap up the show, guys. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you again to Benny for coming on. Awesome time. Awesome interview. You can follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez. Be sure to like, download, rate, and subscribe on all podcast platforms, Apple Music, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. See you guys next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.